Good morning. Good morning. I hate to break up a conversation. It's so good to talk to each other. But even more than that, I would hate to uh, not to get my whole spiel in. <laughs> so glad that you're celebrating loving God by being here together as a community. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the great gift that you give us, the gift of being able to love, the gift of desiring you, the gift of seeking your will. Those are all gifts right from the start from you. Illuminate our minds today, O God. Brighten our hearts that we might receive your word. These things we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Um, I dreamed once a long time ago that I was a TV reporter. And uh, in my dream, this is no lie, in my dream I was standing at a mall like with a microphone and I had on this coat. I've never been able to find that coat. I sure would like it. But I was uh, talking on a microphone and there was a Christmas tree behind me. And in my dream, the Christmas tree fell over on top of me. And I started laughing so hard in my dream that I was laughing out loud and woke up everybody in the house. I was laughing so hard. And to this day, when I think about me standing there because tinsel was hanging off my hair and all this stuff, it was so funny and it was so real. And uh, I don't know if you've ever woken up laughing in your in your sleep. I have many times actually, and been um, uh, called on the called on that by my kids who come in to see what's going on or whatever. But it was pretty funny. Uh, my dad died a few days after Thanksgiving, and and three days before his 68th birthday. And so every year about this time, I start having some dreams about him. And they're always great dreams. They're so sweet. They're, they're dreams where I see my dad as a young man, and he's healed and whole and happy. And it's, it's not working? Really? It sounds like it's working to me. <laughs> Hello? Is it working to you? It's not working over there. What if I do this? <laughs> Hello? Can you hear that? Okay. That just broke up my whole incredible <laughs> rhythm. <sighs> but anyway, um, it, it's, a, it's something he was never able to achieve in his life, and so those are very sweet dreams. And Maybe you have experience with dreams. Maybe you have like one dream that you you have always remembered and you can't forget it. Maybe it's a maybe it was a dream that solved a problem or a dream that made something else happen. Or maybe you're one of those types of people that you never remember your dreams ever. And so you don't think you dream. But once in a while you wake up and you and so you might be one of those kind of people. But regardless of which camp you fall in, we recognize that dreams are a natural part of the human condition, right? Everybody has a dream now and then. 
And we also know that sometimes dreams can be very meaningful. Sometimes they can be very nonsensical as well. A lot of times they don't make sense. But sometimes, some people spend their whole profession analyzing dreams and coming to some conclusions about them. Sometimes you'll dream something and go on the internet and find out that actually you're psychotic. So that's, what the, you know, that's as good as the information on the uh, internet is. But there are a number of biblical texts which uh, presents a situation in which God connects through dreams. And for that reason and that reason alone, I'm not one to discount dreams. And I uh, certainly know that the value, the most value of a dream is not what you dream, it's how you feel in the dream. That's where you get the most value. Are you afraid? Are you at peace? Are you happy? Does it make you wonder? Does it seem confusing? All of those things are, are more of a hint about what you're experiencing deeper inside than most. But there are other kinds of dreams, and that's the kind of dream we're talking about today. But in a way, dreams are reminders that God lives and moves within the ordinary movement and ordinary elements of our own life, that God's ways are as natural as they are mysterious. Did you ever think about that? I mean, sometimes we think about God as just being so mysterious and so out there, but God, who created the world, wired to receive God, creator, works with us and comes to us in the most natural ways, in ways that don't feel unnatural. And sometimes they feel so natural that we miss that it's God. Well, our job is to pay attention and to listen and to notice when it's God speaking to us. I'm not sure how many of us would have been as astute as Joseph was, or many of the people in the scriptures who have heard God. This is, what, this is a recording from Matthew 1 about the birth of Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, which in those times was as good as being married, because in order to break up from an engagement, you actually had to get divorced. But before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, that's why they called him a husband, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And these are the words of the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son. And he, Joseph, named him Jesus, the word of the Lord. 
In this text from uh, Matthew, we are invited inside the Joseph's version of the Annunciation. And this uh, version is interesting because it's not a virgin story, it's a vision story. That's the Annunciation of Joseph. We meet Joseph, who ends up actually being a dreamer. It's a righteous man who trusts relationships rather than rules. And it's an obedient man who responds to dreams rather than to demands. It's an extraordinary man. I'm not really sure that I would have had the courage or the faith that he had to wake up from a dream and to act on it in such a a perilous situation. And in this ancient story, we 21st century disciples discover that there's fresh food about living and about believing in very highly anxious times. It's appropriate, I think, that in these postmodern days to consider dreams as a possible source of hope. Because the great promises of the Enlightenment, and which offered reason and human potential as the answers to all of our problems, have turned out to be empty promises. And they've virtually crumbled around us. We have sought other things to be the answer to all things. And in the human brokenness, we have corrupted those very things that we placed all of our belief in. We have abused science to the point that we threaten each other with nuclear destruction. We have wielded technology into providing the threat of an open sewer of hate and deviant and predatory behavior. We've discovered a thousand different ways that we can pollute the world and the very, and compromise the very air that we breathe. And reason has us, has led us to exhausting debates about who is right and who is wrong. Rather than a civil conversation about possibilities, about ideas, about conversation, about sharing. And now it's just, who's right and who's wrong? Pick your topic. Human potential, unfortunately, has created war and worry and busyness that bores us. And none of all the things that we've created offers us much to feed our soul. And somewhere along the line, the church got gobbled up by modernity. And when the church got gobbled up by modernity, it began to offer a gospel of junk rather than a gospel of Jesus. As the world changes in our relationships with the very notion of the institutional church evolves, many of us really can identify quite deeply with Joseph. He's caught in a culture in which the religious institution is deteriorating. He longs for a new way of seeing, a new way of trusting, which he was thrust into, a new way of coping with problems that seem insurmountable. I mean, in the, in the last year or so, how many of us have looked around the world and felt like, how can this be solved? And I've heard Christians say it's never going to be solved. It's just, you know, it's just, 
And I'm like, so do you think that Jesus was saying the impossible, that Jesus was saying, you know, that, that it's impossible for us to have a kingdom world? Yes, it's impossible. I can't accept that. I really can't accept that Jesus asked us to bring a usher into a world that was impossible to do. I can't accept it. And that maybe makes me a fool for Christ. And that's okay. In many churches around the world, and I've been to, I, I have been fortunate enough to do a lot of traveling with the church and with, uh, in other areas. And I've been to many churches around the world, and around the world, there are many churches whose pews are completely empty. Mainline churches, off the side, off the grid churches, it doesn't matter. The pews are empty, and there's very few. The buildings are crumbling, and we find our young people wandering off into the cathedral of pop culture. And I know that that sounds like, that doesn't sound like Christmas that I'm sharing with you, because it sounds like a very dismal picture. It sounds like a very hopeless picture, but here's the thing about God, and the, the biblical story reminds us of this, that, that this is exactly the condition, the conditions of humanity that God anticipates. Because left to our own devices, left to our own choices, this is where we come to. But in these conditions, when we are most vulnerable and lost and anxious and we have the least control of our lives, that is when God can finally discover a way into our hearts. That is when we have the most openness. That is when we're ready to hear the word of hope, when we're ready to open ourselves to the word of hope, when we're ready to receive the truth of what Christ has to bring to us. It's in that very moment. Walter Brueggemann is just a wonderful theologian and writer. He's written about a lot about the power of dreams in the Bible. He's written about everything from Jacob's terrified dream when Jacob was exhausted by his, the, his guilt and what he had done to his brother and his father, and he dreams of this ladder. All the way to Old Testament Joseph, who's shackled and in a prison cell in Egypt. And then there's Daniel doing a death dance in the lion's den of King Darius. And the Magi, who are pondering how to escape the clutches of Herod, and a dream comes to them. And so the Bible teaches us that dreams can be a way that God frees us. And maybe not just dreams in our sleep, but dreams in and of themselves can be tools for our freedom. They rebirth us, and they push us into a new life, into a new way of seeing and believing. So it is with Joseph. Joseph, who was confused and scared and probably disappointed and in anguish because he had, after all, probably been, uh, the wedding had been arranged since Mary was probably a very tiny girl, as was the custom of those times. So all these years as he was watching her grow to become his wife, and now this. But he wanted to do what was right. 
And so it is with us as we wonder what God can possibly be up to now in this world that we live in. So God, in a way, turns all of us into dreamers. We have a dream. We have been given a dream. We who know that the past is gone and that the new has come, we, we aren't quite sure what it looks like exactly yet, but we know it's here. Especially, you know, especially my age. I, I'll just throw it out there. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. But maybe most of you can identify with me. But at my age, I just feel like I understand things, but, there are, but there's newness to them that I don't quite get. But I, I'm excited about them. I'm not afraid of them. We have no idea how to survive sometimes in the desert of unfulfilled dreams. All the things that we thought we would do and we would accomplish and we would make happen. And sometimes those things get waylaid and they get crushed. And so we don't know what to do with that. But this is the important point that Brueggemann makes. He reminds us that all the dreams in Scripture have something in common. They all have this in common, that they represent the intrusion of God into a settled world. Where the world seems like this is how it's going to be, the intrusion of God into a settled world. And it's an unbidden communication in the dark of night. When you think about dreams themselves, we don't, you know, we don't ask for dreams. They come. And those unbidden dreams open sleepers, us, into a world that's different from the world that we inhabit by day. In our dreams, sometimes we're heroes. And in our dreams, sometimes we are the masterminds. It's a completely different world, and it's an intrusion that generates a restless uneasiness with the way things are until the vision and the dream come into fruition. When we dream that something can be different, we can't rest until the difference comes. Jacob woke up from his dream, and he actually became a restless wrestler, where he had to wrestle through the night, but in the end, he was blessed. The Old Testament, Joseph woke up from his dream and went on to save his people. And the Magi woke up and found a different way back home. And in this text, New Testament Joseph wakes up, and after he wakes up from his dream, he embraces the Savior of the world. He trusts God. There's nothing more he can do. But having been changed by their dreams, all these pilgrims, every single one of them, discover their purpose. They discover their purpose, and they discover a promise. And they discover a passion to live life for someone and something beyond themselves. There can be, I can't think of a greater freedom, honestly, than to discover something beyond ourselves to live for. There is such liberation in that. 
There is such a, a feeling of oneness with the community, with other people. There's a satisfaction at being, at the feeling a servant spirit for others. So the story of God's goodness and grace is written on one more human heart when it was written on Joseph's heart. Anne Weems is a wonderful poet, and in her book called Kneeling in Bethlehem, she describes it this way. Each year the child is born again. Each year some new heart finally hears, finally sees, and finally knows love. And in heaven there is great rejoicing. There is a festival of the stars. There is celebration among the angels. For in the finding of one lost sheep, the heart of the shepherd is glad. And Christmas has happened once more. The child is born anew, and one more knee is bowed. Joseph is described by Matthew as a righteous man. And to be honest with you, I think that that turns a lot of people off from him. Because they think of him as being kind of a stick in the mud. And so they put him in the back of the stable. You know? I mean... But I ask myself, what would have happened to Mary if it hadn't been for Joseph? Honestly. I mean, God came to Joseph. Joseph didn't have to listen to God. He had a will that he could have said, no, I won't do it. I don't want to get mixed up in this. But he didn't. And I just wonder if that shouldn't mean we might want to bring Joseph out to the front and let him enjoy the festivities. Joseph's righteousness isn't based on law, it's based on love. And it has to do with trusting his intuition and his imagination. And being in right relationship with the dreams of God, because that's actually what we're shooting for. God has a dream for us, has a big dream for us. And for us to align our dreams with God's dreams is, seems like risky business, but I can't think of a safer uh, dream to go with. By doing so, Joseph becomes faithful. Not to the conventions of the world, but to the heart of the Holy One. And he throws his lot in with God. And in the fear and, and the ugliness and the helplessness of the way things are right now has to find balance in what can be, what might be, what is possible, the practicality versus the possibility. And God is a God of possibility. Uh, we live in a very searching time. I think that's very true. It's a chaotic time. Honestly, it's a very biblical time. It's a time when a dreamer like Joseph can set us free from complexities that, that confine us. We feel confounded by the complexities in the world, but a dreamer like Joseph. You know, Advent is really the most countercultural time of the church year. Not many Christians know that because we kind of jump in with the culture and there's nothing wrong with presents and Santa and all that, but there's something for us to remember. We come into this season 
with our purple shadows and our doleful music. I mean, who sings at Christmas time in the bleak mid midwinter? We do. And our texts start with stories of a new heaven and a new earth and the end of times. And the church clashes with the culture when we're lucky. And we refuse to escape into the womb of materialism and sentimentality. And we dare to look at the darkness of our days because we know, we know, we understand that Jesus came because we were in trouble. We were a mess. We were in a lot of trouble. And Jesus came because, because God heard our cries. And when God heard our cries, it was that moment when they were lost, when they were afraid, when they were out of control, when they were occupied by the Romans. It was that moment that God chose to make an intrusion into the way the world was settled with hope and with a story that would change all of our stories forever. Joseph is our guide in this. Because Joseph is the one who embraced a belief and a wonder in God before Jesus was even here. And Joseph is our guide because he invites us every year into a seasonal slumber party in which we can all rest and dream. Our dreams about everything that we've been too afraid to dream about before. What are you afraid to dream about? What are you afraid to open your life up to? What do you, what do you just deepest desire so very, very much and you can never think of it in a million years? He shows us how to welcome incarnation, how to, the, what the radical intrusion of it in the world and into the darkness of our own human condition and all of a sudden it's not dark anymore. All of a sudden, we have a grand purpose, and we have a vision for living. And it's a small embodiment of God's dream. And what is God's dream? As far as I can figure out, God has a dream of shalom. And, and shalom is a peace that passes understanding. And, and a dream of compassion and justice and grace and wholeness and abundance as far as I can figure out, God's dream is everything good for us. I mean, imagine that God dreams everything good for us. He shows us how to name our dream. And to name our dream Jesus, God with us. And it's a dream even more vivid in the sunlight than it is in the dark. You know, just to remind you, the story of Jesus doesn't begin with Jesus. Never did. God has been at work at this for a very, very long time. Since the beginning of time. Salvation, which is the main business of Jesus, is a very, very old business. And Jesus is the coming together in final form 
of themes and energies and movements that have been set in motion before the foundations of the world and were recorded not first on paper, but by stories, by a passing of a story of the experience of this wholeness, a sitting around the campfire of the most ancient of people sharing. And these stories have been handed down over generation and generation and generation and come to us as a as a stream and river of truth about our salvation because God's dream is everything that's good for us. Matthew tells the story in such a way that not only is everything previous to us completed in Jesus, but we are completed in Jesus. That's the good news. We are completed in Jesus, and every day we wake up in the middle, not at the beginning and not at the end, but in the middle of something that is already going on for us. That's been going on for a long time. Genealogy upon genealogy, history and culture, the cosmos, God, it expands out and out and out and goes further than we will ever be able to imagine. Matthew provides a comprehensive context by which we can all see God's creation and salvation completed in Jesus. And all the parts of our life, if we want them, completed. Our work, our family, our friends, our memories, our dreams, all completed in Jesus, if we want. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel. God is with us. Amen. God, we thank you so much that in your love for us, you have provided for us a way home. You have provided for us a kingdom life that is possible. And you have invited us into this magnificent enterprise of seeking your dream. And in your abundance, your dream is everything that's good and right for us. And we have no way of saying thank you to that except grab it with all we've got and hug it close and live it so that we also might be abundant and gracious and compassionate, that we might have shalom in which we can share all those things. We thank you, God, for Joseph, a man that took such a risk in believing that he heard your voice. And if it was your voice, knowing against all tradition and all religion that it was the right thing. Amen. <laughs>